if you want to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6, um, that's, the, that's the passage that we're focusing on this morning, um, because that's been the, the, that's the verse that inspired the theme for the cadets this year, which, which was branded with Christ. So that's going to be what we're going to be looking at this morning um, in the text and also in the sermon. Um, and that's been their theme for this past year. So that's an exciting thing um, that we get to do on Cadet Sunday. Um, and today is also Transfiguration Sunday, uh, which when I found out that we were doing Cadet Sunday on Transfiguration Sunday and I found out that the theme of cadets for the year was branded with Christ, I kind of did a little bit of a happy dance because... I was really excited about that because these themes of, of Christ being revealed in his glory and us reflecting Christ's glory, us being branded with Christ, they just go, they just go together so well. Um, and so that was a really exciting thing for me. Um, yeah, through the Holy Spirit, we, uh, we are being branded with Christ. Now, cadets... I have a question for you, and you've been, you've been looking at this for the whole year, so I, I want one of you guys to tell me, what is branding? What does it mean to be branded? What's, what's a brand? Maybe a counselor can help. So a brand is like, a brand is a mark? When you What? When you mark something permanently. Yeah, that's perfect. That's the perfect definition of what branding is. Now, when I think of branding, I think of cattle, like cows. Because farmers brand cattle. They, they put marks on their cattle to show that their cattle belong to them. And I haven't seen many branded cattle walking around in the city. I haven't seen very many around here. But when I was in high school, I lived in Texas. And in Texas... We do have branded cattle, and there was a guy who went to my church, his name was Rick, and he owned a ranch. And so there was this one time that a bunch of people from the church went to Rick's house, uh, went to Rick's ranch out in the country, and uh, we had a good old-fashioned Texas barbecue, and Rick took me and my brother, and he showed us his herd of cattle. And he had a lot of cattle, and, and he had this huge property. That he had a lot of land, and the cattle could wander all over the land, all over the land. And it was a really, really big property, so the cattle could go pretty far. But he had a fence around his property so that the cattle couldn't go too far, or else he might lose them, right? But every once in a while, every once in a while, something would happen that would break the fence, either a tree, like a tree would fall down and would, and would break a hole in the fence, or some of the cows would run into the fence and would, would knock it over. And so then, then some of Rick's cows would get into his neighbor's property, and some of his neighbor's cattle would get into his property. And so, so before too long, you've got, you've got all these cows getting mixed up. Some of his cows are going to his neighbor's property, and some of his neighbor's cows are coming to his property. And so, so his, his cows and his neighbor's cows are all mixed up, and it's just kind of a big mess. But Rick always knew which cattle were his because they were branded. Rick had this, this metal pole, and this metal pole had a symbol at the end of it. And whenever he got a new cow, whenever he, he was adding cattle to his herd, he would put this iron in a fire, and he would get it really, really hot, and then he would brand the cattle on their thigh, always in the same place, always with the same symbol. 
And that way he always knew which cattle were his. Of all the cattle in all the world, these were Rick's cattle because they were marked with Rick's brand. And so all of Rick's neighbors knew which cattle were Rick's because they had Rick's brand. The the brand is a mark, it's a permanent mark, like you said. Brand is a permanent mark that shows ownership. And so everybody knew that because these cattle were branded, that they were Rick's cattle. They were branded as Rick's cows. And in a lot of ways, that's what we're reading about here in Deuteronomy 6. In, in, in this passage, this passage comes right after Moses reminds the Israelites of the Ten Commandments. He reminds them of the central points of the law of God, of, of the center of God's law. And like Rick's cattle, Israel is marked for God. Israel is branded for God. Not physically, but, but um, through, through the, the law and through the way that they live and the way that they worship. Everybody in the whole world knows that the Israelites belong to God. That Israel is set apart, that they're marked for God. If you look at how the passage starts, Moses tells the Israelites, These are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe. The Lord your God. And at every point throughout the passage, we're, we're reminded that Israel belongs to God. And that, Israel, that the Lord is Israel's God. That the Lord is Israel's only God. And this was a pretty unique thing in the ancient world. Because, because, and, and so it set Israel apart from all the other nations of the world. Because at this, at this time in history, most nations had lots and lots of gods. They had tons of gods that they worshipped. They had a god for the sky and a god for the earth and a god for the ocean and a god for rivers and lakes and trees and ponds and and for, for kitchens and for cows and for farms, for everything, for the sun and the moon and the stars. I mean, you name it, they had a god for it. So there were all of these different gods. So when Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's a pretty radical statement. That set the Israelites apart. It made the Israelites pretty weird when you looked at them compared to all the other nations of the earth. The Israelites were different because the Israelites were set apart for God. They were marked by God. And that's what this passage in Deuteronomy reminds us of, of how Israel was set apart and how they were unique, how they were branded, so that everyone on earth would know that they belonged to God. And that the one true God who created heaven and earth was the only one that they served. So what does Deuteronomy 6 say? What does it it tell the Israelites to do? Well, there's three things that Deuteronomy 6 tells the Israelites that are necessary if they're going to be God's people. They have to obey God's commandments. They have to love God. And they have to remember God. So those are the three things. Obey God, love God, and remember God. So the first thing that Deuteronomy 6 tells the people of Israel to do is to obey God's commandments. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. 
So Moses commands the people of God to keep his commandments. And this must be a pretty important thing because Moses says it in three different ways. In verse 1, he tells them to observe the commands. In verse 2, he tells them to keep the commands. And in verse 3, he tells them to obey the commands. So he tells them the same thing three times in three different ways. So it must have been pretty important. But what Moses is doing is Moses is reminding the people of God, the people of Israel, that obedience is an important part of their relationship with God, that God calls them to obey his law. And that's why it's so important that we learn the Ten Commandments. It's so important that we learn the Ten Commandments so that we know what kind of a life God calls us to live. We're to live in a relationship of obedience to God. But then there's the second point. Moses tells the people of Israel in verses 4 and 5, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And this is really important because in the Bible, there's a whole bunch of different ways that people can respond to God. When people come into a relationship with God, they respond in a whole bunch of different ways. Sometimes they respond with fear or reverence, or respect, or obedience, or awe, or confession, or praise. There's all of these different ways that people respond to God. But what Moses is telling us is that the foundation of our relationship with God, the primary way that we ought to relate to God, is a relationship of love. This is where the obedience that Moses talked about just before in verses 1 through 3, this is where that obedience finds its heart, finds its root, we don't obey God's law because we're afraid that God's going to punish us. We don't obey God's law because we think that somehow it's going to earn us our salvation. We obey God's law because we love him. We obey God because we love him. And the reason that we love him is because he first loved us. God showed his love to Israel by freeing them from slavery in Egypt and bringing them to the promised land. The, the, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for hundreds and hundreds of years. And some of them were starting to think, you know, where is God? When is God going to save us? When is God going to deliver us? Going to deliver us. But he did. He came back and he sent Moses to confront the Egyptian Pharaoh. And with great signs and wonders, God led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, through the Red Sea, away from the armies of Pharaoh, and into the promised land. And God does the same thing for us. We weren't slaves in Egypt. We lived in slavery to sin. We lived in slavery to our evil desires. We lived in slavery to, to our flesh. But God sent his son, Jesus, to take the debt of our sin for himself, to wash us clean, to free us from sin. So when Jesus died on the cross, he took away all of the sins that we've done. He took away all of the bad things that separate us from God, all of the bad things that we've ever done or ever will do. He took them away. And defeated them. Jesus took them all with him when he died on the cross. And when he rose from the dead, Jesus showed the whole world that he had defeated sin. He didn't just pay the price for our sins. He defeated evil totally and completely so that we can live as children of God. So we don't obey the law out of fear or out of duty or out of a need to save ourselves. We, we, we are already saved. Jesus has already done everything that we need to be saved. We obey God's law because we love him. And we love him because of what he's done for us in Jesus. 
The theme verse, okay, cadets, I'm going to ask you a question now. This is one of your landmarks, so, so you should know it. So what is, what is the theme verse of the cadets? Look at that. These kids are awesome. Yeah, it's John 14, 15, where Jesus tells the disciples, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You will keep my commandments. And that's what we're about as Christians. We keep God's commandments because we love him. We follow the law because we're thankful to God for what he's done for us in Jesus. John Calvin was a pastor in Switzerland, like like 400, 500 years ago, like 500 years ago. And he's also the guy that the Calvinist Cadet Corps is named after, Calvin, Calvinist, Calvinist Cadet Corps. But John Calvin talks about how the law works, and he tells us that the law teaches us three important things. The first thing that the law teaches us is that we are sinful, that, that when we read the law, it becomes, it becomes very clear very quickly that we can't do everything that the law requires of us. We can't follow the law perfectly, and so the law teaches us that we fall short. The law teaches us that we aren't able to live up to what God requires of us. So the law teaches us uh, about our sin. The second thing that the law does, John Calvin says, is that it, it points us to Jesus. We know that we can't follow the law perfectly, and so the law points us to Jesus because Jesus did follow the law perfectly. Jesus is the only person who followed the law perfectly, so he's the only one who can pay the debt for our sins. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law because Jesus followed the law perfectly. So the law points us to Jesus. So the law convicts us of our sin, and it points us to Jesus. And then the third thing that the law does, John Calvin tells us, is that it teaches us how we can say thank you to God for everything that he's done for us. And this is what Jesus means when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus has done so much for us, and so we, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you to him. And the law shows us how we can do that. It shows us how God wants us to live, and because Jesus has died for our sins and sent us his Holy Spirit, we can follow God's law out of love, out of love for God, not out of fear or out of duty or out of a desire to be saved, but out of love for God. And Moses tells the Israelites that they should love God so much that the law of God is branded on them that it's branded on them. He says in verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Moses could have said that they should know the law of God so well and follow it so well that it's branded on their hearts. That it's branded on their hearts. And Moses doesn't stop there. It's not just on their hearts. Impress them on your children, Moses says. And this word impress, it's the same word as brand. That's what a brand is. A brand is an impression, a permanent impression. When a, when a farmer or, or a rancher brands his cattle, he literally makes an impression in the, in the cow's thigh. He makes an impression on the cow. And that impression is there forever. So, so that's what Moses is saying here. Impress the law of God on your children. Brand the law of God on your children. Brand God's commandments on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now that would have been a lot of branding. The law of God would have been everywhere. It would have been everywhere. Brand the law of God on your hearts, on your children, in your conversations, in your thoughts, in your homes. The law of God would have been everywhere. And so this is how much Moses says we should love 
God. We should love God so much that it affects every part of our lives, our hearts and our children and our conversations and our thoughts and our homes. That's how much we should love God for what he's done for us. So Moses tells the Israelites to obey God and he tells the Israelites to love God. And the third thing that he tells the Israelites is that they need to remember God. In verse 12, he says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. And why would Moses think that this is so important? I mean, God had done so many things for them. God had, God had freed them from slavery in Egypt. He had brought them through the desert. He had led them with a, with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. He gave them the law. He delivered them into the promised land. So why, why, would, why would they forget about him? How could they forget about him? But the thing is that it's easy to forget about God when everything is going well in our lives. When, when we're having trouble in our lives, like when we get sick or when we're fighting with our parents or when we're getting bad grades in school or when we're not getting along with a friend, those are times when it's really easy to pray. When it's really easy to pray because we know that we need God's help. But when everything's going well, when we're healthy and when we're getting along with our parents and when our friendships are all great and when we're making good grades in school, it can be easy for us to say that that things are going so well because we've worked so hard, that things are going so well because we're such good people. It's easy, it's easy to turn to God when things are going badly because we need God's help, but when things are going well, it's easy to take credit for ourselves. And the same was true for, for Israel. When they were slaves in Egypt, they prayed every single day because they knew that they needed God to save them. They needed God to come and deliver them. But once God brought them to the promised land, it would be really easy for them to forget about God because everything would be good. Everything was good. They'd be working on their farm and they'd be raising their family and they'd be worshiping at the temple and it would be really easy for them to think everything is going so well because I'm such a good person because I've worked so hard for it. It's easy for us to think that we're successful because we're such good, hardworking people and so it's easy for us to forget about God. But God wants us to remember all the time that he is our God and that we are his people. And so to help us with that, God gives us these signs. God gives us signs so that we can can remember him. These sacraments, the sacraments, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, these, these are signs, they're brands, they're marks that mark us as God's people. They remind us that we belong to God. And so when we're baptized, what happens in baptism is that God marks us as his own. He washes away our sins. He cleanses us by his spirit, by the blood of Christ. He adopts us as his own children. And so when we're baptized, we know, and everybody knows, that we don't belong to the world. We don't belong to sin. We don't belong to Satan. Baptism reminds us and everybody else that we belong to God that we are his children, that we are adopted into his family. And in the Lord's Supper, the same thing happens. The, 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 the Lord's table, this is God's like family dinner table. And when we come to worship at the table, it's God inviting us to come and to remember that we are a part of his family, that we share in his food, that he is the one who feeds us and sustains us. And so we remember when we celebrate the Lord's Supper that we belong to God. 
These are the marks of ownership that God puts on us, the brands that he marks us with, that he uses to transform us to look like Jesus. He uses these marks to remind us and to remind everybody in the world that we belong to him, that we belong to God. We are branded with the blood of Jesus Christ and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's something very important that I think we need to remember. Deuteronomy 6 teaches us to obey God, to love God, and to remember God. And we know that God gives us things to help us do that. He gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can live holy lives. And he gives us the sacraments so that we can be washed and fed and and sustained through this life. That we're, we're marked as God's. He gives us a church community and Christian parents to help us and to support us and to encourage us and to correct us when we we do things that are bad. But it's important for us to remember that we can't do all of these things on our own or by our own power. It's important for us to remember that we need God's help and we need the help of other people, the people around us. We need God to save us and to make us a part of this community before we can follow his law, before we can live in a way that pleases him. Maybe you're a guest with us today and you don't know the forgiveness that comes from knowing Jesus. Maybe you've been trying your whole life to be a good person and maybe you are a good person. Maybe maybe you, you work really hard at it and you try and you try and you try. But something that the Bible makes very clear to us is that we can't accomplish salvation on our own. No matter how hard we try, we are never good enough. God gives us his law, so we know the standard. We know how good it is that we have to be. And we know that we always fall short, no matter how hard we try. Without God's help, we always fall short. And that's why Paul says in the passage that was read this morning from 2 Corinthians 3, that the ministry of the law brings death. The ministry of the law brings death because we work and we work and we work ourselves to death And it doesn't accomplish us anything. The law doesn't just show us how we should live. It also shows us how we fall short. And this is why the glory of the law, glorious though it is, is a fading glory. That's what Paul says. The glory of the law is a fading glory. We can be a good person. We can live a life that is righteous. We can work our hardest to live a life that is pleasing to God. But in the end, even our goodness is temporary. It's finite. It's limited. It's fading. But the goodness of God, the goodness of God is really glorious. The goodness of God does not fade. The glory of God is everlasting. And what Paul tells us in the letter to the Corinthians is that it's this glory that we are given when Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to us. That when, that when we are washed with the blood of Christ and when, when our souls are fed by his body and his blood, God sends us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. That we are filled with the glory of God. And that this is the glory that we live into. This is the glory that we reflect in our lives. This glory that does not fade. A glory that does not go away. We stand as a people marked by God, a people filled with the Holy Spirit, a people branded with Christ. We are a people marked by God, set aside for special purpose, not because of what we have done, 
There's nothing that we could do to, to deserve this honor, no. But because of what Jesus has done for us, we are branded with Christ. Now, for, for Israel and for the early Christians, this was a really easy thing for people around them to notice, for, for people who weren't Christians to notice. When uh, in the ancient world, there, there were all sorts of things that, that everybody did that, that Christians didn't do. So people every day would go to the temple to pray to these different gods. They would go to, they would go to different temples all day long because there were all of these different gods and they needed to, they needed to make all of these different gods happy. And people would, would participate in these big parades and these big shows that honored different gods. And, and people had little idols all around their houses that, that uh, represented the different gods that they worshipped. So that they, you know, if they didn't get to the temple, they could pray at home to, to the idol of the god. But Christians, of course, didn't do any of these things. And so, so their neighbors would all day long be going to temples and going to parades and going to shows and praying to the idols in their homes and Christians didn't do any of this. And, and that was pretty weird in the ancient world. That would have been pretty weird. It, it, would be like, it would be like, imagine if today you had a friend who never went out to eat and never went to the theater and, and didn't, uh, didn't have TV or internet in their home and didn't, didn't even put pictures up on their walls, just had bare walls in their house. That, that, would, be, that would be weird. That would be weird. That would be kind of strange. But that's, that's what early Christians were like. That's what the Christians in, in, ancient, in the ancient world would, would have been like. But when people, when people asked them, you know, why, why are you so weird? Why don't you do the things that normal people do? What, what makes you so different? The early Christians would say, come to church with me and see. Come to church with me and see why it is that I'm different. Come to church with me and see what it is that makes me different. And so these friends of theirs who didn't believe in Jesus, who didn't know the gospel, would come to church with them and would see someone get baptized. They'd see the Christians celebrate the Lord's Supper. They'd hear the gospel preached. They'd see this whole body of people marked for God, set aside for God, branded with Christ. And that's a really powerful thing, to see the marks, to see the brands of God on people's lives. As Christians, of course, we're not branded with a physical mark. We don't have a tattoo or a mark on our skin or anything like that that, that shows that we're Christians. Our branding goes much deeper than that. It's a brand on the soul. It's a brand on our whole life. God doesn't mark our hands or our foreheads or our hearts. He marks our whole lives, our whole beings as he sends his Holy Spirit to us and transforms us to look like Christ. He gives us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. He washes away our sins with the blood of Christ. He feeds us with the body and blood of Jesus. And this is how we as Christians are branded with Christ. God marks our souls. He forgives our sins. He gives us his spirit. He brands our whole lives so that we and everyone else can know that we are branded with Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you send us your Holy Spirit so that we can be transformed to look like Jesus. 
Lord, we thank you that you forgive our sins and that you give us your law so that we know how to live in a way that makes you happy, that pleases you. And Lord, we pray that you will continue to work in our lives to transform us more and more to look like Jesus, that you would brand us with Christ in a way that is, that is visible to everybody around us all over the world. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.